Hello and welcome to Views from the Market, Mid-Market Private Equity and M&A in Canada. My name is Mario Negro. I'm a partner in the Private Equity and M&A Group at Steichman Elliott. For today's podcast, I'd like to introduce our special guest, Stephen Jacob, Managing Partner and Founder at Osprey Capital Partners, a leading uh, independent sell-side advisory firm that focuses on the middle market and working with middle market companies. Stephen, welcome and thank you for joining us. Mario, thank you for uh, having me. Stephen, I'd like to start by talking a little bit about yourself, your history in deal making, and the history of Osprey. Love to learn more about Osprey and yourself and uh, your role in the middle market. Sure. Um, we started the firm. A couple of us started the firm back in 1998, and we we spun out of Gordon Capital, which, if you know from back then, it was a you know sort of aggressive broker dealer. And we thought we'd just keep doing the same things in our, our own format. And that worked for a few years. But then the market really changed. And this concept of merchant capital, merchant banking came along, and ter- which ultimately turned into private equity. And we sort of followed that trend. And for the last 20 or so years, we've been focusing on you know, finding transactions and working with the private equity groups out there in Canada. Um, today we have three offices, one in Halifax, one in Winnipeg, and the head office is in Toronto with about a dozen professionals. And we do two things. We really focus on M&A and helping companies raise capital for growth. Um, yeah, and there's two things I think that make us a bit unique and uh, happy to, to be on this call to talk about one of them. Um, the first thing is we track and have a very aggressive outbound calling program where we try to touch base with our goal is all the private companies in Canada. Uh, there are about 65,000 in the mid market. We have data and have ca- called about 30,000. But the more interesting thing is we started providing dedicated coverage for PE and debt. And there's sort of two of us that cover private equity. Um, and that's really grown in the last few years. I would say in 2015, we covered about 500 funds that were interested in Canada, about 50-50 Canadian and U.S., and today that's really grown to more than 1,000 funds that we cover that are interested in Canada. So I think we're you know, really focused on working with families and shareholders to sell their business, and the bulk of the market and our experience has been that private equity uh, players will pay the most, give the best terms, and give a great outcome. Stephen, I know, you, you know you've been a successful dealmaker for, for a long time. I mean, uh, you, you, um, you've seen the way this market has evolved. I wanted to get your perspective on, you know, when we look at where we are today, particularly when you look at the history of, of, of your experience and, and Osprey's experience, I wanted to get a perspective from you on, on you know, what do you think's changed in the market in the last, you know, 20, 25 years? And, and, and what do you think this pandemic has done to, to the market? Yeah, good, good questions. Um, I think the, the first one I talked a little bit about, which is the number of funds and number of players in private capital is really increased tremendously. I mean, doubling over the last five or six years. And what we're seeing on the, on the on the on the um, lower end of that scale is uh, more of search funds. We call them one and done. So it's a group of people or investors looking to own and operate a single business. 
and unfunded sponsors, which are funds that don't have committed capital, you know, like some of the bigger funds or the institutions, but are looking for a series of transactions. That's really exploded and accounts for a lot of that growth. Um, the other area that we see the growth coming from is U.S. funds. Um, a lot more U.S. funds are interested in Canada because I think because we tend to have a slightly more conservative view on uh, debt and a slightly, and therefore slightly more conservative view on valuation. And the biggest change I think that we've seen in the last, say, two or three years is family offices. This whole idea of of family wealth being professionally managed either in a multifamily office or a group of families get together or single families and they've shifted their portfolio mix from sort of nine percent to 24 percent of their portfolio so so billions of dollars so i think in the market it was a trillion more than a trillion dollars depending on who you read there's about a trillion three looking for deals um, that hasn't changed from pre-COVID to, to post-COVID, the same number is chasing uh, some, you know, less, a few less opportunities than, than were available. Um, so what does that really mean in the market? I think that the funds are willing to do smaller transactions. Uh, we, we recently worked on a small transaction and we had 16 bids on it in the sort of sub 2 million EBITDA range. Um, for us, Today, if I look at our data, five we have 500 funds that would do a $5 million EBITDA deal. EBITDA meaning uh, earnings before interest tax, depreciation, and amortization. And even if we get down to $2 million, we still have 250 funds in our system that would do those deals. So I think the amount of capital in the system has forced people to be a little more aggressive in terms of size and the number of entrants, especially from those family offices and the search fund and the unfunded sponsors. Um, lots of interest in smaller deals that certainly, you know, 10 years ago, there would have been very, very few people interested in those. And even five years ago, if we got one or two bids uh, on those smaller deals, and now we're regularly getting, you know, eight, 10, 12 bids on, on smaller transactions. And the, the last part of the change is really valuation. Um, for, and this is really more to your COVID question, you know, before COVID, most businesses were considered fairly stable. Um, COVID exposed a lot of cracks. And if it wasn't for COVID, we'd still be answering the question. So how did they do with the recession of 08, 09? Um, so now we're going to be focusing on how did they did, how did, how did the company perform during COVID? And for businesses that are stable, um, we see valuation being up, especially on the larger, larger size businesses. Um, that's about a third of the market. And then on the, you know, I call them returning businesses, businesses that will be backed up, up to normal levels shortly here as we come out the other side of COVID, the, um, you know, there should be good interest. The question is is one of timing. When will people, you know, take that COVID normalization or take it out of out of the valuation? And then the last category, which is about the the, the third third of the businesses, which is the long term fixable, but anything to do around travel and leisure, those will take a little longer. So I think, given the amount of capital that's out there. The smaller number of, you know, stable or, or, you know, the timing of the returning businesses, it's going to be a pretty, uh, pretty exciting time over, you know, 2021, 20, 22. Um, 
for the people who are looking to sell their businesses. You you hit on something, Stephen, and I, I you know one of the things that Osprey has been um, you know really you know consistently a market leader on, and and really has been their, their kind of commitment to the middle market. Um, you 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 and the firm have, have always been focused on the middle market. You've kind of seen the middle market evolve. I I wanted to get your sense from from your experience. You know when you look at deal making today, uh, working with sellers, uh, you know the process of, of deal making in the middle market. What would you say has, has it changed? Is it, you know, you, you have a lot of experience in, in middle market deal making. Uh, has, has the fundamental premises or the fundamental building blocks of getting a deal done changed? Is it still what it's always been? Or, or have you noticed some, some kind of shifts that have changed what deal making means today in the middle market? Yeah. And, and, I think the interesting part about that, and I'll talk selfishly for a moment, you know, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, there was a very small number of firms focused on uh, the middle market. So often we got introduced or we met a company or we called a company and we'd enter into a dialogue and we would be hired if they were interested in selling the business today. You know, there's something north of 100 middle market competitors in the country uh, that we've identified. You know, most of those are, you know, small shops, sub five, sub five uh, employee places. But I think the first part of it is the um, family shareholders or the owners of the business are becoming more sophisticated and they're more often than not, we're entering into a process where at least there's one or two other people vying for the business. I think that's that's good for us. I think we've been around a long time and we're not afraid of the competition. But what that also means is they're getting lots of different views on, on you know, the critical deal elements. Um, valuation, pre, predetermined or pre um, indications of where we think valuation are becoming more important. So the owners are trying to time their business because they know that, you know, everyone's defaulted to this notion of, of EBITDA as a basis for valuation. So the market's uh, a lot more uh, sophisticated and, the, you know, people are understanding how the valuation metrics work and deal terms. So I think the sellers are more educated, but the biggest change is really one of liquidity. You know, ten years ago, five years ago, there wouldn't, there wasn't the number of players and the amount of capital. So people are trying to design better deals. I remember um, years ago there was always some kind of earnout in a transaction. Well, we haven't seen an earnout in, in in the last few years. Even when we're selling 100% of the company to a financial player, um, which was unheard of. Um, the earnouts are going away. You might get a small VTB, and you'll get your standard holdbacks for you know working capital adjustment. But terms are much better for the for the vendors than they were years ago. Can Can I ask you, Stephen? You know, you you work with sellers every day. You 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 know, there's a feeling that this is a, a whatever the right word is hot market. You know, a very active market. Um, some of it. People say is COVID driven. Some of it's just succession planning. I wanted to get a sense from you. I mean, you're on the front lines uh, talking to owners all the time. What do you think is driving uh, the activity the, uh, that we're seeing? And, and frankly, do you think it's the blip that once we get back to normal post COVID, we'll, we'll pass on? Yeah, there's two 
two things I think are driving, there are many things driving the market, but, but two main drivers. One is the, the search for uh, financial returns and, and, the, and the sort of outsized returns that private equity has been having in the market versus, say, public markets or other alternatives or if people are feeling real estate's topping out. So people are looking for ways to invest in equities. So that's driving the amount of capital. And then, and that was then that's been building, you know, over the years, very steady. What we haven't seen again is the proliferation of these search funds and the unfunded sponsors. That's just exploding, and the U.S. funds because it's just as competitive, maybe more so, in the U.S. coming to Canada. So part of that's driven by the demand side. So people are being super, super competitive and driving valuations up and giving better terms and that sort of thing. But I think. What COVID did um, is put this notion into business owners that, you know, maybe it's not every year business as usual. There might be some years that are tough or hard to get through or worrisome. And those kind of events will always cause people to think about how they've organized their lives. And we're seeing more calls from younger people. I mean, typical typical share, uh, shareholders that want to sell their say between 55 and 65 and they're saying this is my succession planning I need to have a runway to complete the deal and a runway to for the handover to the new buyers and I you know I don't want to run up against my my mid to late 60s so they'll start at 55 but lately we've been seeing younger people who have significant businesses with with good assets saying you know what that was no fun um, I should think about selling into this hot market while interest rates are low and funding is available because who knows what will happen in three years with or, or four years with the liquidity that's there today. If it goes away, I'm going to going to kick myself. We did a transaction that we were starting management meetings in April of last year, just as COVID, we, we called off the management meetings beginning of April because COVID, nobody knew. We put the deal on hold. Um, we had uh, four group, four uh, groups coming through for management meetings. They all had bid a certain price. We waited until the fall. We updated the financials. Business was down a little, but not meaningful. And one of those ones that, you know, will will return quickly. Um, we invited some new people into the process. Only one of the four original groups that were chosen to meet with manager made it into the next round of, and I think we had five meetings in the second round, um, just on valuation alone. And the the new the new participants were uh, about thirty percent higher than the original bidders. So it tells you something about what. COVID did for stable businesses, valuations are up quite a bit. Are you seeing those valuations across the market, including smaller deals, mid, you know, in terms of the mid-market, is it a general phenomenon? As, as uh, I know there's a old saying that the kind of lower end of the market used to be a place where you could still find good companies cheap. Is that still the case? Or do you think that, the, that the, to your point, the buyers have, have even discovered the lower end and, that, and that's rising as well? Yeah, I think that's right. I think, you know, years ago, three to five times EBITDA was sort of mid lower mid-market valuation ranges. 
you know, trying to get something in the sixes was difficult. It had to be a spectacular business. I think at the low end, it, it's moved, you know, depending on CapEx and, you know, it's smaller deals sometimes have customer concentration or supplier concentration, but pretty universally that those numbers have moved up. Again, it's always situation specific, but the general consensus is four to six times. And, and if it's a business uh, that's in the one of the high, highly desirable industries, um, non-asset based logistics, food, certain types of manufacturing, you might see another turn, even at the small, like the two, $3 million EBITDA range, those are getting bid up. And if you happen to be one of the lucky companies where there's a private equity firm that owns a strategic in your space, we call them hybrids, um, or you've got the financial aggressive, uh, ag aggressive approach from the financial player being the PE fund, and the industry knowledge and potential synergies from their portfolio company, you can get some some pretty crazy valuation numbers for sure. Want to ask you before we 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 end our call? Uh, I always ask about the, the famous crystal ball question, and and you you know you've seen a lot. Uh, you know, Osprey is a, a great success story in the middle market. Where, where do you think uh, this deal environment is going uh, when you look at the next uh, year and, and, frankly, the next few years, given where we're at now? Yeah, I think we're going to see no, you know, no change in demand. Uh, 21, 22 is, for us, because of the lead time of some of the transactions we work on, is looking as strong. Uh, we're going to have a record record revenue year in 21. We'll, we'll see what 22 brings. Um you know, if we're if we're careful and we we don't get a big jolt caused by you know inflation or interest rates rising, this could run. There's so much capital. I mean, this could run three, four, five years. Just have to keep an eye out on on inflation and interest rates. If interest rates rise, we're going to see a decrease in valuations. But as as long as it's orderly, it should be fine. Um, I've never seen. In the you know 27 or 28 years I've been in this in the investment banking business, I've never seen a market like this. It's kind of crazy. If if I owned a, a good sized private business, this is the kind of market I'd be selling into. Stephen, I want to thank you for joining us. It's been uh, great to have you, and uh, and uh, you know great to get your perspective on uh, both from a historical perspective, but also where where the market's going. So, so thank you again for joining us. Mario, appreciate you having me on. Thanks very much.